All righty. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I guess I'm just going to I'm going to take a a minute to kind of take everyone in the screen on for just a minute so I can kind of just take you all in. <laughs> um, so maybe we could just uh, still our minds uh, for a few minutes before we start uh, our study. So. And now slowly come back. Um, as I was saying earlier before everyone joined, this is never easy for me. Coming from the inside out is just so revealing. Um, and this text, Time and Attorney, has been pretty challenging for me. Um, but I'd like to take us to chapter 15, uh, pages 301 to 304. And a few paragraphs to elicit the impact of the holy instant before we do the text, please. Um, so that's chapter 15, page 301. And I'm going to start with the first paragraph, and then I'll read like three of them. And then maybe at the end, if anybody has any thoughts, we can talk about them. The holy instant, the two uses of time. Can you imagine what it means to have no cares, no worries? no anxieties, but merely to be perfectly calm and quiet all the time. Yet that is what time is for, to learn just that and nothing more. God's teacher cannot be satisfied with his teaching until it constitutes all your learning. He has not fulfilled his teaching function until you have become a consistent learner that you learn only of him. And when this has happened, you will no longer need a teacher or time in which to learn. And then going on down on that same page to paragraph three, the ego is an ally of time, but not a friend. For it is as mistrustful of death as it is of life. And what it wants for you, it cannot tolerate. The ego wants you dead, but not itself. The outcome of its strange religion must therefore be the conviction that it can pursue you beyond the grave. And out of its unwillingness for you to find peace in death, it offers you immortality in hell. It speaks to you of heaven, 
but assures you that heaven is not for you. How can that, that guilty, the guilty hope for heaven? Going on to page 302, paragraph five, the ego teaches that heaven is here and now because the future is hell. Even when it attacks so savagely that it tries to take the life of someone who thinks it is the only voice, only voice it speaks of the, the uh, hell even to him. For it tells him hell is here as well and bids him leap from hell into oblivion. Now, the only time the ego allows anyone to look upon with equanimity is the past. And even there, its only value is that it is no more. So guilt, you know, it runs amok. So going on to, on that same page and then into um, page 303, uh, paragraph eight, the Holy Spirit would undo all of this now. Fear is not of the present, but of only of the past and future, which do not exist. There is no fear in the present when each instant stands clear and separated from the past without its shadows reaching out into the future. Each instant is a clean, untarnished birth in which the Son of God emerges from the past into the present, and the present extends forever. It is so beautiful and so clean and free of guilt that nothing but happiness is there. No darkness is remembered, and immortality and joy are now. And then finishing off on this page, on paragraph 11, if you are tempted to be dispirited by thinking how long it would take to change your mind so completely, ask yourself, how long is an instant? Could you not give so short a time to the Holy Spirit for your salvation? He asks no more, for he has no need of more. It takes far longer to teach you to be willing to give him this than for him to use this tiny instant to offer you the whole of heaven. In exchange for this instant, he stands ready to give you the remembrance of eternity. And I think what we'll do is on page 304, I'll do a closing. But I, I'm, I'm wondering um, if you have any thoughts. And if I don't see you, just someone tell me if someone's raised their hand. Well, I'll go. I just feel like this is, uh, and I'm so impressed with you and with people that can find these passages in the text other than, than what you're uh, what we're addressing because it's so, so related or maybe everything just seems that way into uh, being here and now, and that's all there is, <clears throat> but the past isn't there. All these paragraphs just like uh, are so uh, comforting and reassuring and uplifting that it's just, uh, uh, I feel like I'm almost reading the same thing over and over again, different parts of the text uh, or, or sometimes the workbook too. Uh, so that's what I have for you right now. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I love the, uh, the practical side is, uh, I mean, eternity, eternity is such a giant word. I mean, it's so packed full of all kinds of weird stuff. Like, I don't know if I, don't know if I want to go on for eternity. <laughs> is that a good idea? <laughs> and, but then when he says, I don't have to teach you about the holy instant. I have to teach you how to be willing to have one. It's <laughs> like, how insulting is that? What do you mean I'm not willing? 
Yeah. Thanks. Oh, uh, Vicky. Yeah, and they were the the paragraphs that you read were so strong. It um, I kind of felt like crying. Um, the stuff that we believe about death uh, and and the uh, comparison to uh, the ego's um, the ego's game and I mean just just absolute uh, ridiculousness and um, when the course talks like this I mean it it goes way in it's it's like whoa look at this right <laughs> like I'm in awe. Well, if, any, if nobody has any more comments, I'm going to, so I'm taking you on a journey. So my car's kind of going to bear over here a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, as usual, I felt unprepared to do this. And my husband chimed in when I was perseverating aloud with, well, how do you prepare for love? And that made me laugh. That made me chuckle. So I'm going to read an excerpt from an article a friend of mine wrote that helped me decipher my holy instant this morning. And I needed that. And it may be veering a little bit, but bear with me. Um, so in the article is written, so-and-so teacher says we are all here to play. Or so-and-so teacher says we are all meant to be happy. Or so-and-so teacher says we are all here to love one another. What those teachers describe is true of the real world, but not of the ego's false world. I do not know if they are in the real world when they say this and are speaking for themselves, or if they have glimpsed the real world and think it is what the false world is supposed to become. But you cannot apply what is true for the real world to ego's false world. And you cannot make the false world into the real world. They are two completely different states of consciousness and experiences of existence. It is true that if you touch, touch the real world, it will have an effect on you and your perception of the false world in a lovely way. But that is only a temporary effect in the false world. So what I'm going to do is give you three examples in my world of touching the real world. Because for me to exist in time, I have to imagine. Um, so one of them was just one that I, when I was young, I had my children very quickly. And I was, my husband worked in our business to get it going. And so uh, I was with four children a lot. So periodically I'd spend 10 days with my parents up north. But when I would leave after those 10 days and I'd get the kids in the car and my parents lived up on a hill, so they'd wave to me from a window. I would feel this sadness. And, but what I now, now think about that is there was parts of the real world that were touching me, this love that was so full in the car, in that window, it, was, it, was, it brought the real world to me, but I didn't see that back then. So it's nice now in time, 
which is a communication device for us to see that. And then my granddaughter, there's another story. She it went off to college uh, uh, six weeks ago and a young man's fallen in love with her. She's really into her courses to become a teacher. She has all these ideas about what the curriculum should be and it should start with love. Um, and, but yet her roommate who she's just met six weeks ago, her mom is dying. So Layla uh, on Friday drove to the airport in Washington. I, think, I don't even know, I guess it doesn't matter which airport, but she said, I tried to be with her as long as I could so that you know, she would have someone with her. But then later when we were talking, she was just telling me you know, all these things. And then she said, and I'm so homesick. And, I, and, I, and, I, I, and she said, it's not about coming home. There's this space, like I was saying, when I saw my parents' face, that, was, that draws her, that, that anchors her, that is a, it's touching that real world. And then the final thing is, you know, when my daughter passed away of a fentanyl overdose, it was hard because in Milwaukee, Milwaukee is a pretty segregated city. Um, and so there isn't a lot of, there wasn't, I think maybe now it's, it's getting better, but there wasn't a, a drug task force. There wasn't Narcon, there weren't things. So when the detective interviewed me the next day and he said to me, what happened to your daughter? Now that's in time. And in that moment, I did not give guilt a passageway because the holy instant dropped into my world and gave my heart respite with a deep sense of a love and a joy beyond the carnage that was presenting. So I'm not sure how this fits with time, but it's so powerful in my life that I wanted to bring it to us before we go to the actual chapter. And then perhaps we can all take turns reading um, and share with each other. So I'm gonna go to chapter five right now. Time and eternity. And I'm gonna ask for readers. Oh, um, Audrey. You're going to read or are you going to talk? I'll do both. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> um, I, I just wanted to comment on, on, on how you've opened. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. And, and what, what you just shared, uh, you know, I hear so much uh, being in this course, but when I hear something like that, that you can find your holy instant in such an incredibly dark moment, I know I'm in the right place. <laughs> I mean, I don't doubt it, but I, but I know it. Um, and I wanted to say one thing about what you said about homesick. It just, I haven't thought about this in decades, but when my sister and I went to camp, I hated camp. I got homesick all the time, but that was a feeling I, I, I started to understand. And then later in life, I would start to get that feeling of home and we, we called it homesick, but I was already home, you know, literally not spiritually. And I, I realized, and we realized this together, was that it was sort of capital H homesick. I was homesick for the home that I, I yearn for, but you know, which I'm finding here, you know? So it's, and, 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 and what I learned to do instead of like holding my breath and getting away from that feeling at all costs is I would just breathe it in, which is actually good for most feelings, you know, just let it move through me and, and gone. But it, it was a yearning for, for God in, in retrospect. So thank you. And I would thank be happy to read if you tell me. Oh, where. thank you. So though, Audrey, thank you. Uh, already, then you can read that's on page 86, time and eternity, the first paragraph. Okay. And it's a toughie. <laughs> E.T. E e phone home. 
<laughs> that's what that's what we're doing here. Okay. Um, time and eternity. God in his knowledge is not waiting, but his kingdom is bereft while you wait. All the sons of God are waiting for your return, just as you are waiting for theirs. Delay does not matter to eternity, but it is tragic in time. You have elected to be in time rather than eternity, and therefore believe you are in time. Yet your election is both free and alterable. You do not belong in time. Your place is only in eternity, where God himself placed you forever. Should I go on or is that just that just that one? You know, you might want to take the second one because then that kind of brings up guilt. Okay. Um, guilt feelings are the preservers of time. They induce fears of retaliation or abandonment and thus ensure that the future will be like the past. This is the ego's continuity. It gives the ego a false sense of security by believing that you cannot escape from it, but you can and must. God offers you the continuity of eternity in exchange. When you choose to make this exchange, you will simultaneously exchange guilt for joy, viciousness for love and pain for peace. My role is only to unchain your will and set it free. Your ego cannot accept this freedom and will oppose it at every possible moment and in every possible way. And as its maker, you recognize what it can do because you gave it the power to do it. That makes me think of today's reading and really want to apply it. <laughs> you know, it can touch me not. Thank you. Thank you. And the whole cave analogy that comes through in that, you know, oh, I mean, I remember when I first saw that, I think I was freshman in college and just, I mean, I don't even think I perceived it correctly because age does help you to see how chained you are, you know, but I mean, and, and, and that, that, and that first paragraph too, Audrey, I mean, like the world, the word bereft, I mean, I can't even imagine that the depth of, 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 of that, which is bereft of, of, of us, of us. I think Arise. Yeah. Yes. Can I say something? Oh, see, I couldn't see you, Arise. I know. I, I, I had myself on mute trying to yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like this uh, on par second paragraph. When you choose to exchange this exchange, you simultaneously exchange guilt for joy, viciousness for love, pain for peace. You know, I mean, that's part of our process every day is we do. I, I find myself in viciousness and in guilt and in pain. And then uh, in the holy instant, that's what you, uh, being able to recognize that, that, that it's Oris projecting out whatever, then I find peace. And I, I never thought we were having so much trouble in our neighborhood. Somebody dumped, I woke up yesterday, went outside to walk the dog and right across the street from our sidewalk there was two truckloads of of, of garbage dumped right over there <clears throat> I mean it was like you'd need two truckloads to to take it away oh that just pressed all my buttons you know 
we're interested in trying to sell our house and we won't be able to do that with this neighborhood. But anyway, um, guess what? I mean, I have to acknowledge how I was feeling. I wanted to get my gun out, <laughs> take it over there and shoot whoever was around because there's a trailer parked over there illegally. So I, you know, the way to the miracle is to look at what, what I'm doing and what I'm feeling, right? And I was feeling hatred and viciousness and anger every time I looked at it, but then kept giving it over to the Holy Spirit, over to the Holy Spirit. And today, uh, well, yeah, momentarily, I was having peace in the middle of it, in the middle of the garbage in our neighborhood. I'm choosing to find peace. I don't know the solution, but I look at the garbage, it's still out there today. I don't have a pickup. The city is not responding. So I just, I have an opportunity to be grateful that there's garbage over there and that I can use that to stop my own. I, I realized somebody helped me in the class. Somebody I was talking to, they said, Maurice, you're just, and I made me realize I'm projecting. When I project anything, I'm projecting my garbage all over it. When we're looking at somebody and judging, we're talking garbage all over them. And so I'm able to see what I'm doing by looking at the garbage every time. Anyway, that was my holy instant. <laughs> and I have a series of them throughout the day. Thank you. Thanks, Aris. Vicki? Well, and isn't the judgment on that? I would never throw my garbage across the street. I mean, that's right. That's got to be where it comes from. <laughs> and uh, it, it's really hard to listen to the Holy Spirit when that stuff is going on in our minds. And, and he says, this is meaningless and does not exist. Says it every time. And. Yep, I know. I know the struggles. And the other thing I wanted to say about this first paragraph that you read, Audrey, um, there's a song, I don't know, I don't remember who it's by and maybe it'll come to me later, but I love the words in it. This world was never meant for one as beautiful as you. Thanks. Thanks, Vicki. I think that's from Starry Starry Night, Don McLean's uh, tribute to Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, I, I did a, a spoof on that in high school. That's why I remember all the lyrics. <laughs> Is it still a spoof? <laughs> and you know, when 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 we see life from that that you know, like this and that, I can't even that first sentence. I can't. It's it might as well be Greek. God and His knowledge is not waiting. I I I don't even invite Him in. You know, I can't do it. Because I have got myself so, you know, like such a, a whirling derby, so to speak. You know, I, I don't, you know, that's just where I am. So, Alrighty, anybody want to take paragraph three? Thanks, Vicki. Remember the kingdom always, and remember that you who are part of the kingdom cannot be lost. 
The mind that was in me is in you, for God creates with perfect fairness. Let the Holy Spirit remind you always of his fairness, and let me teach you how to share it with your brothers. How else can the chance to claim it for yourself be given you? The two voices speak for different interpretations of the same thing simultaneously or almost simultaneously, for the ego always speaks first. Alternate interpretations, alternate interpretations were unnecessary until the first one was made. Boy, that's something to remember. I don't think I think of that either right away. The ego speaks first and is always wrong. That'd be a good one to hang on to. And you know, and like alternate interpretations were unnecessary until the first one was made. Darn it. Darn it. <laughs> I was thinking about that. In the, the continuing thought, but that paragraph too, guilt feelings are the pre preservers of time. Certainly when we come across the course and whenever I'm angry at anybody, trash across the street, whatever, um, I'm certainly not aware of my own guilt. I'm not, I, I don't think I feel guilty. I think you should feel guilty for dumping that trash on the street. <laughs> and you certainly should be punished, punished whether you feel guilty or not. But I mean, it's like, it takes a while to even here intellectually that if I'm ticked off at anything, it's my guilt. I've projected it out and I don't want to see it's mine. I mean, just even accepting that as a possibility is gigantic. It's probably the first big step in being able to hear that's what he's saying. <laughs> Second step is actually considering what if that's true? <laughs> What, what, if, what if every time I get ticked off at anything, it's all about me feeling guilty and pretending I'm not because I threw God out the window, because I threw eternity away, because I killed my relationship with my father in heaven. I mean, nobody accepts that consciously. It would drive us crazy. And we are crazy. That's the point. <laughs> we were crazy. <laughs> we actually believe we did it. <laughs> that's pretty insane. And then rather than let it go, God, I, I got to find trash on the street all the time. <laughs> you got to be trash out there. It's not, I'll make it up. <laughs> I'll be ready for you to dump it, even if you haven't dumped it yet. <laughs> so, it could, I mean, it's, it's relentless, boy. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, Tim. Oh, Bruce. Yeah, um, I was thinking about the word projection and, you know, kind of throwing trash over the fence, <laughs> literally or figuratively. And, and I was thinking of the, the, the phrase NIMBY, not in my backyard. And I sometimes revise that to not in my mind's backyard with an extra M, <laughs> and which kind of ties into, ties into what Tim was saying. It's like, if I, if I can remember that, you know, my projections comprise the entire world that I see, unless I ask Holy Spirit for help, that it's, you know, it's, it's totally my, my dumpster world, um, you know, in full, full splendor around me until I, for, you know, begin to forgive what I, what I made up for having had no impact on 
my real being and your real being and everyone's real being. And then the homesick thing, I kind of was thinking of lesson 182, which I enjoy reading. <laughs> and it's a, a good one for, for any kind of homesick uh, remedy. So anyway, thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Alrighty. Um, anybody want to take on paragraph four? I'll do that, Gene. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Jim. Sure. The ego speaks in judgment and the Holy Spirit reverses its decision. Much as a higher court has the power to reverse a lower court's decisions in this world. The ego's decisions are always wrong because they are based on the error they were made to uphold. Nothing the ego perceives is intrepid, interpreted correctly. Not only does the ego cite scripture for its purpose, but it even interprets scripture as a witness for itself. The Bible is a fearful thing in the ego's judgment, perceiving it, is, perceiving it as frightening, it interprets it fearfully. Being afraid, you do not appeal to the higher court because you believe its judgment would also be against you. Yeah, I think that, you know, we were talking about the ego. The, the ego always speaks first and speaks loudest, you know. And uh, yeah, and, and, and our job is just to be, to be mindful, like, of what's going on at the time of the thought and just to, you know, to ask the Holy Spirit to interpret it lovingly. Oh, I'm sorry, Bruce. And then oh, and Vicky. I, I, yeah, I was just thinking about, uh, you know, interesting. I was in that paragraph. Not only is there a biblical, yet a, one of many biblical corrections. I think there are like 600 or something in the course. Um, but also that that uh, jurisdiction uh, metaphor, I think, is so cool. It's like, well, the higher court is really Holy Spirit's vision and and mind, one mind that's outside of space and time that sees that ego's whole thought system of sin, guilt, and fear, and, and space and time, you know, obsession never, never happened, you know, and I don't know, I just find that really interesting that those two helpful metaphors are juxtaposed. One is, you know, correcting the, um, the cult of personality as, as Ken Wapnick calls the, you know, the, the biblical, uh, you know, formal, the, any formal religion really, but certainly, you know, Christianity, uh, as it's normally thought of in our world, and, and how it's affected so much of you know the culture on around the planet, um, but uh, it's, it's uh, you know that that need to to correct <laughs> the, the the idea that personality you know is is what what spirituality is about. It's like no, no, it's got to be got to be more than that. It's got to be trans transpersonal, if, if that's you know at least a starter word. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Vicky? Well, in, in this same paragraph, um, it shows that 
the ego um, turns in on itself, like it's afraid and um, I don't know if I'm saying this um, the way I wanted to, but the whole paragraph just shows that the ego just turns in on itself, in on itself with fear and judgment that if we're in that shit, we don't think of going to the higher court because we think we've made some kind of mistake and and there's no way the higher court would listen to us. And yet we're learning through the course that that's exactly uh, the higher courts in love with us and uh, we can get out and go to it whenever we need to through forgiveness. Oh, Audrey. I, you know, I've never read through the entire text and I'm, I'm doing it in little tiny bits and pieces and I'm going to do the immersion next year. Um, but I, so I find everything kind of shocking. And, you know, as, as Bruce was saying, and it talks about, you know, the Bible is a fearful thing in the ego's judgment. Cause I, I know that religions have, you know, all gone wrong. They started with a, you know, a germ of something. And I, I know that what Jesus said in the Aramaic is very different from how we've interpreted over the years. But, you know, what it's basically saying here to me is that you can use anything as an, as an argument for what you already want to believe. And that's what the ego does. But in the next uh, chapter uh, the, on the lessons of love, I mean, he says clearly, it's on page 95, um, there are some examples of upside down thinking in the New Testament, although its gospel is really only the message of love. And then he goes on to say, you know, if the apostles hadn't felt guilty, they could never have quoted me as saying, you know, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. This is the opposite of everything I taught. So he's calling out the apostles here. You know, I mean, it's just, it's extraordinary to me that he's saying, this is where you went wrong. You know, that it, if you didn't see through a filter of guilt, then you could have seen what I really was saying. And that's what, this is like kind of a correction of that. I find it fascinating. <laughs> Thanks, Audrey. You know, I, when I was uh, some years ago, gosh, I, I probably almost 20 when I, I initially hadn't done any Bible study because in Catholicism, really, you just listen to the priest at, at gospel time. But I was blessed for whatever reason that um, I had a, an amazing um, teacher um, that used metaphor quite a bit in, in interpreting the Bible. Plus, Lexio Divina was something that I didn't know I, I, I could, I, I had. So I could, it would be like, even though in discussion groups, there would be all oh, this space of judgment. And like you said, the, the apostles, you know, how they said things and people would say, well, this is the way it is. And this is the way it is. And, and I wouldn't see it like that. So in that sense that, but it, it got to be hard to be in that space because the dial, there wasn't a, people were like, I suppose I'm clearly, when I'm in guilt, I was resistant. We're resistant to see something beyond that. Thank you. Oh, we think an, an insightful, uh, probably eye-opening um, experience once we're into the course for a while is to go through this paragraph and replace scripture with the course. So line four, not only does the ego cite the course for its purpose, but it even interprets the course as a witness for itself. Not that any of us would do that. 
The yeah. course is a fearful thing in the ego's judgment. <laughs> well, everything's a fearful thing in the ego's judgment. Everything, including the course. <laughs> I mean, good Lord, of course, probably the course more than anything. It's pretty scary. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Bruce. One comment to, to to riff off what Audrey was sharing, and and uh, I, I know I've mentioned this a couple of times, so I'll do it really briefly. Years ago, I was reading the, the Baird Spaulding's books, The Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East, back in the early 70s, before the course was even out. And, and I read in there then this, this account, whether or not it's factual or not, I don't know, but to how this expedition had Jesus appear to him, and he was correcting what was in the Bible. One of the things that really stuck with me is that he said, you know, I was greatly misquoted. Um, you know, it says, I I was quoted as saying, you know, my, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But what I actually said was, my God, you have never forsaken me, nor any of your any of your children, or you know, basically, you know, that paraphrase, but but that was like that really stuck with me. And when the course came along, it was like, yes. <laughs> I, I knew there was something to that. Yeah. Thanks. And it's so interesting how the mind wants to hold on to, you know, God has forsaken instead of hearing that which, you know is back to paragraph one where, you know, God is bereft, you know, I mean, he's, he's waiting for us, you know, you're, you're so right. <laughs> Thank you. All righty. Anybody want to read paragraph five? It's a short one. <laughs> Maya's got it. Oh, I don't see you, Maya, darn it. Please read. Hi, Jean. Hi, everyone. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Paragraph five. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, excuse me. Maybe why don't you read through maybe eight? It seems like. Sounds good. Yeah. Granted, okay. there's a lot in there. <laughs> you can hear me okay? Okay. There are many examples of how the ego's interpretations are misleading. But a few will suffice to show how the Holy Spirit can reinterpret them in his own light. As ye sow, so shall ye reap. He interprets to mean what you consider worth cultivating, you will cultivate in yourself. Your judgment of what is worthy makes it worthy for you. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, is easily reinterpreted if you remember that ideas increase only by being shared. The statement emphasizes that vengeance cannot be shared. Give it therefore to the Holy Spirit, who will undo it in you because it does not belong in your mind, which is part of God. I will visit the sins of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation as interpreted by the ego, is particularly vicious. It becomes merely an attempt to guarantee the ego's survival. To the Holy Spirit, the statement means that in later generations, he can still interpret what former generations had misunderstood and thus release the thoughts from the ability to persevere. I'll share with you um, 
related to these paragraphs and to all everything we've been reading, a new epiphany for me about handing things over to Holy Spirit. It occurred to me, and I'm sure this is my ego, okay? It occurred to me that the Holy Spirit's response is always going to be the same. It's always going to say, nothing happened. And so then I, so then I think my ego says, well, I'll do that. I can do that. <laughs> I can just say nothing happened. And so a personal example recently in my life in which I was flattering myself that I uh, had given up holding a victim stance in my life, okay? I was priding myself that I was no longer claiming victimhood. <laughs> well, recently I've noticed, ego has noticed that I've, I feel like I'm surrounded by people claiming victimhood. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm the only one who isn't claiming victimhood. And, you know, that I really have to laugh at that because it suddenly occurred to me that I'm acting. <laughs> so I traded in my victimhood for seeing it outside of me and feeling superior to all those poor saps. <laughs> so anyway yeah I, I can tell you appreciate it Dean thanks thank you <laughs> I don't see anybody else I was that last sentence in paragraph eight to the Holy Spirit the statement means that in later generations he can still in still reinterpret what former generations had misunderstood and thus release the thoughts from the ability to produce fear. I mean, that's so powerful that I can give up the past. It, like you said, I mean, it, it's not there. It's just not there. I'm not a victim. I mean, and yet I think the problem that I come into in ego is I want to be alone then and I'm back to it again. And then I'm back in the past. It's so like to just sit in the aloneness. I, I struggle with that, just to sit in that because it feels like a void. But truly, if I do that, all of those thoughts are released and the past doesn't dog, it doesn't dog my mind, you know? So I thought that, I just thought that was so powerful. Like, you know, you don't have to sit in a therapist's office for the rest of your life. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. I mean, not that it won't be helpful. I don't mean that, but I don't have to do any of those things forever. Forever. Go ahead, Doris. Yeah, I wanted to thank uh, both of you and especially Maya, that it's so important I'm learning that when we do see ourselves projecting, you know, you're right. It's so easy to go, oh, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. I'm at peace. And then we don't see anything peaceful around us, you know, like the garbage. I, I don't know if you were here earlier. All I see is the garbage on my street <laughs> that everybody else is putting there. Uh, it's so easy. What the wonderful part of this is, is laughing at ourselves. I'm going to continue to spread garbage and project it. Maybe projectile vomiting is what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm gossiping. I'm going to project as long as I'm in this body and I'm, I'm going to just have to, who am I forgiving all the time? Myself with the Holy Spirit. 
and learning to laugh at myself. That's the big part. And then it lightens it already. Thank you so much, Maya, for your laughter. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Arise. It's oh. not like there's not garbage out there. It's not like there aren't victims out there, but it's just, it's every time I have a reaction that I know is not peaceful, that I know has an edge of I'm holier than thou, or you should be punished, or, I mean, why should victims be punished? We all came here to be victims. <laughs> why should the garbage disposal people, you know, be punished? We all came here to drop our garbage. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if I if I'm reacting, that's the point. If I'm reacting to anything, I'm reacting to the course. I'm reacting to the Bible. I'm reacting to garbage. I'm reacting to victimhood. In a way, I know is not peaceful. And usually, if I'm doubting the way I'm feeling, it's a pretty good indication I'm not feeling peaceful. <laughs> I mean, maybe you know, a lot of times I try to convince myself I'm not really being judgmental. Well, if I got to do that, <laughs> it's probably a good clue. <laughs> I'm kind of already on the other side <laughs> of the fence. And uh, yeah, so it's like, it's always going to like, yeah, we're always going to project. We're always going to see victims. We're always going to see garbage. But it's once again, it's my reaction. Am I willing to own my reaction? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Bruce? Tim, I'll help you spell check your essay on why you're not judgmental and defensive if you need help with that. <laughs> I, I just, but I, I, I could so relate to that. It, and I, I was also thinking that last line in, uh, you know, still can reinterpret the misunderstandings. I was saying, well, you know, Jesus keeps throwing egos cases out of his courtroom. You know, Holy Spirit says, get up, get the heck out of here. You know, nothing happened. Yeah. In truth. Right. So. I try to remember that in my saner moments. Thanks. And you know, it's so interesting because first of all, all our insanity and all that, that the stories that are created in, like I have a person in my complex that has a trailer that she's covered in this gray thing. And you, it, you it's just, and, and it's, and I have to stay in the house some days because I, I know I'll get crazy. So I can't even look out there, but I realize the power of my mind my mind to to make these insane stories that just I mean they roll and roll and roll and roll and then you know back to that first paragraph I can't even think that God would be bereft of me because I've gotten my because my powerful mind and my ego is just running amok I mean it does and and let's be honest all of us it's exhausting you know the joy in a holy instant is so much more powerful than all of that that takes off on and it can, it can, and it can take days sometimes, you know, it just can show up. So I, I thank you all for our, our reinterpretation of Jesus. <laughs> How about we go to nine? Anybody I can't see on the next page, so I'm not sure anybody wants to read. Rebecca. Rebecca, thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. <clears throat> the wicked shall perish becomes a statement of atonement. If the word perish is understood as be undone. Every loveless thought must be undone. A word the ego cannot even understand. 
To the ego, to be undone means to be destroyed. The ego will not be destroyed because it is part of your thought, but because it is uncreative and therefore unsharing, it will be reinterpreted to release you from fear. I'm just remembering a lot of places where the course has said the ego will be undone. And I've interpreted that to mean gotten rid of. Um, anyway, the part of your mind that you have given to the ego will merely return to the kingdom where your whole mind belongs. You can delay the completion of the kingdom, but you cannot introduce the concept of fear into it. I like that last sentence very much. It's very comforting that all of the, you know, I, I can so relate to this mess of this cacophony of thoughts um, that is constantly going on about really anything, be it the course or my community or my family. But I, I it, it, it brings me great comfort to remember that I can't, that the ego really has no power to destroy anything. And that my concept of fear and all of our concepts of fear have done nothing. Yeah. One other thing in that paragraph that I, it, it, you know, like things will jump out on me in a paragraph and it's, it's, it's uh, line five, the part of your mind that you have given to the ego will merely return to the kingdom where your whole mind belongs. And, and upon reading that, I thought, well, Jesus is so gentle and forgiving to forgive that, that mind. You know, it, it's like, I can't do that yet. And he will give me that permission. You know, that, that that part of my mind, my ego mind, because I don't feel it should go in the kingdom. It's just, so it's, I, I'm just kind of sharing that because it just struck me so. So. Sorry, I must have gotten a phone call. <laughs> Anybody else? Sally got something. Sally, I don't see you, Sally, so come on board. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Well, it, um, this is so um, helpful. Uh, in paragraph nine, sentence four, the ego will not be destroyed because it is part of your thought, but because it is uncreative and therefore unsharing, it will be reinterpreted to release you from fear. And I think that's what we're, we are doing um, is we are um, reinterpreting the ego. I mean, it's a, it's a process. It seems to me that we are um, going through um, the part of your mind that you've given to the ego will merely return to the kingdom. Um, I, I, just, I find that um, so um, comforting. <laughs> I think we're, you know, the ego, you know, is just a thought in our mind and we are reinterpreting it, with, with, thankfully, with. Jesus's help and the Holy Spirit's help. Um, so um, 
I, we were talking, what was it Thursday night, we were talking about the hungry dogs of fear. Um, and um, I was watching a Mariners game yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if any of you are baseball fans. I wasn't until my son got me hooked. But you, you know, you see the hungry dogs of fear, people who want to win and they want to kill. Uh, because they want to be satisfied, but but um, you, you just reinterpret that, you know, reinterpret that in our minds. You know, it's not uh, it's so horrible. Anyway, that's my thought about that. It, I could be all wet, but I it, it feels kind of good to, to consider that. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Sally. Thanks. Um, I just reread it. And based on what you guys have shared, I just wanted to share an image that came to me of the, the our concept of the ego as like, and this is so simple, we talk about it all the time, but what if we thought of the ego as a knotted up ball? And this undoing is literally untying it, remembering it is all the same. Even the ego is still, is just something we've taken parts of, God and decided it was something different. So I just got this beautiful image of it being untied and then that's what gets released because it's all the same. So I wanted to share that. Thanks. Thanks, Rebecca. That's lovely. That really is. Yeah, I had the image of, uh, you know, you have a bad dream at night and then you, uh, I'm going to go back and destroy that dream. You real, I mean, when you wake up, you realize it's a dream. You don't have to go back and destroy it. You just realize it's a dream. <laughs> it's, it's just like, I, oh, I don't have to hang on to that. It didn't really happen. <laughs> but yeah, like undoing, undoing my investment. Of course, while I'm dreaming it, if I if I don't know I'm I'm dreaming, it's I'm invested, boy. I'm knotted up. I'm definitely entangled. And you wake up and you go, man, I'm glad that was a dream. I don't have to go back and destroy it, for God's sake. I don't have to kill it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, Tim. All righty, do we have volunteers for 10? I can oh, read it. thank you, Lisa. Oh. Welcome, Jean. Thank you. Welcome. You, you need not fear the higher court will condemn you. It will merely dismiss the case against you. There can be no case against a child of God, and every witness to guilt in God's creations is bearing false witness to God himself. Appeal everything you believe gladly to God's own higher court, because it speaks for him and therefore speaks truly. It will dismiss the case against you, however carefully you have built it up. The case may be foolproof, but it is not God-proof. The Holy Spirit will not hear it because he can only witness truly. His verdict will always be, thine is the kingdom, because he was given to you to remind you of what you are. Uh, you know, I... I was uh, thinking that no matter how heinous the thought we have, the ego thought that we have here in the world, we think God will never forgive us 
oh, how could he possibly forgive us for, for an act that we did, dumping garbage, for example, uh, you know, and the fact is that we didn't do anything. We never left God. Any thought that we, our little ego minds, think is so heinous and wrong, uh, well, never really happened. That's just a projection coming from our mind. And the Holy Spirit, in line seven, says the Holy Spirit will not even hear our case. Why? Because it's not truth. It's not oneness. Um, and, and this all, all of this whole paragraph just reminds me, all we have to do is forgive our, ourselves for the projection. And it's pretty simple. Um, and about Orisa's garbage, <laughs> if it were me, I would go through the bag, pull out some the person's address, and then drive the garbage over to their house and dump. Um, <laughs> and that's my my ego response to the garbage stories. But that's all. Thanks, Jean. This is a great great class. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks Lisa. And I too, the, the Holy Spirit will not hear it because he can only witness truly, you know, and hearing you say that in the midst of that garden is so lovely. <laughs> Thank you. So back when I was living in Bozeman, uh, we were on the first floor and we had a patio and the people on the second floor right above us were constantly all night long because they were up all night doing drugs, flicking their cigarettes off the balcony onto mine. <laughs> so I did what Lisa suggested. I gathered all their cigarettes up and I dumped them at their front door. However, there were already a thousand cigarettes <laughs> on their patio. So I'm sure they didn't notice it much. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Just oh, another quick go, gar garbage comment. I, I, I've shared this before, but I, I still think it's funny. As when I was in Hawaii, I remember seeing a garbage truck on, on the a sign of it. It said, satisfaction guaranteed or double your trash back. And I always thought that was fun. <laughs> All righty. Should we go to 11? Unless anybody has, because I can't see everyone. So if anyone has something to say, please just chime right in. So how many people can you see on your itty bitty little I can screen, see Jean? 12. I can see 12 people. Just That's half it. of us. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, well, gosh, if I knew there were that many people on, I would have been more terrified. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just have to add because I mean, first of all, I love Maya's laughter. That just broke me up. I mean, that's exactly the right response. <laughs> This, this paragraph where it talks about, you know, the, the metaphor of court, the case may be foolproof, but it's not God-proof, I think is pretty funny. And I'm thinking to myself about other people that I would condemn right now who should be in a court of law and laughing at myself that, first of all, that if I can you know, blame them, then, you know, I trust my brothers who are one with me. I'm already way off course. And then I think, oh, well, okay, I forgive him. But my brother is pissing me off. 
<laughs> you know, it's just, oh my God, there's just such a wealth of work to do or a holy instant. I like that wealth of work. <laughs> Anybody else to read? How about Arise, you want to read? Sure. Thank you. Thank you. When I said I come as light into the world, I meant that I came to share the light with you. Remember my reference to the ego's dark glass and remember also that I said, do not look there. It is still true that where you look to find yourself is up to you. Your patience with your brother is your patience with yourself. It is not, is it, is not a child of God worth patience? I have shown you infinite patience because my will is that of our father from whom I learned of infinite patience. His voice was in me as it is in you, speaking for patience towards the sonship in the name of its creator. Yeah, it's a uh, number three. It is still true that where you look to find yourself is up to you and your patience with your brother, <laughs> as uh, Audrey was saying, is your patience with yourself. And all we're dealing with is our own projected thoughts. So anytime I, I think I'm okay and I'm at peace and I don't have to worry, you know, I'm okay with the course, then it, it's not true because I wouldn't be here. The minute, the minute I stop projecting, I wouldn't be here anymore. So that's a sign like the wealth of work to be done in seeing and then being able to gently allow that light and the light of laughter, you know, it does lighten us up. We, my job is about forgiving my projections. And I'm just beginning to realize that, that it's so simple. <clears throat> that is the miracle that is forgiveness. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Harice. You know, I was thinking uh, the word infinite patience. So my husband and I have owned a business for 40 years and we raised our grandchildren, as I've said earlier. And our one grandson is 20 and he. You know, he lived through his graduation and he didn't even graduate because it was COVID. So his anxiety is huge. It's just huge. But my husband, the word infinite patience, he has him work with him so that he has a framework of, of, of doing in this world. And this young man makes him wait and wait because he has to pick him up because he's had a DUI. But he'll wait and wait. My husband will call me from the car. We'll just talk about our day. But it might be 40 minutes. I don't know that I could do that. To get this young man on a job to do probably two hours of work. And then if he gets anxious, he has to leave. And he takes him home. I mean, infinite patience. So that mind teaches me about that mind of God that is infinitely patient with me. I was, Excuse me. I was thinking about that too, Gene, and it's like uh, how that, the words like in the course, like perfection and infinite patience, like I feel I'm pushing my buttons. I feel it like I can never do that. And, and there's a sense of, oh, I got to become perfect. Oh, I got to 
learn how to have not just patience. I, I've got to, I've got to make me feel it, do it, become it. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, no, no. Perfection's already there. Infinite patience is already there. All you got to do is tap into it by doing what Reese was saying. Realize you're just projecting all your garbage on somebody else and it's all made up. And then, then the infinite patience, it's just there waiting to be experienced. It's not anything I got to do, for God's sake. <laughs> All the problems aren't real. Infin infinite patience is a done deal. So, yeah, thanks. And our brother teaches us, like, like you said, Arisa, it, it does. I mean, we, the witnessing, the uh, walking with, the, what did it say earlier? Well, that the, the, the Holy Spirit was, can just truly witness. We witness it. And then we can remember again you know, and, and just cut through everything else, you know. Um, if someone would like to take the last paragraph, because it kind of does proceed a little bit with that infinite patience. Well, I don't want to, but I'm having this very psychic experience that I've never had before, but I really think Beth wants to read the last paragraph. And I don't see Beth. Oh. She didn't make the cut. <laughs> Is she, is she still there? I, let me, I, if I switch you over, I'm afraid I'll lose you all. She's saying she doesn't. No. Lisa had her. Lisa had her. Lisa. Lisa. All right, Lisa. Okay. Well, thank you. Now you must learn that only infinite patience produces immediate effects. This is the way in which time is exchanged for eternity. Infinite patience calls upon infinite love. And by producing results, now it renders time unnecessary. We have repeatedly said that time is a learning device to be abolished when it is no longer useful. The Holy Spirit, who speaks for God in time, also knows that time is meaningless. He reminds you of this in every passing moment of time because it is his special function to return you to eternity and remain to bless your creations there. He is the only blessing you can truly give because he is truly blessed. Because he has give, been given you freely by God, you must give him as you received him. I just love that only infinite patient produces immediate effects. Yeah. yeah. That's how we experience that Holy spirit moment, that Holy instant now. Um, it's, it does kind of just, it's like, it's, it's like a moment almost suspended, you know, it's like, it's, it's just an incredible thing. And when you have those moments, then it's like, it makes it more, you want it more and more. So, um, some of the par towards the end of the paragraph, I always, you know, there's that one about his, your creations. But I, I'm trying to find it now, but I just love that. He reminds of this at every passing moment of time. That's, that's really beautiful too. 
Oh, and I, this is the thing. It, I'm not exactly sure what it means, but it sounds really beautiful because it is his special function to return you to eternity and remain to bless your creations there. I don't know. I don't really know what that means because I'm not there yet, but I just know what I know is like when I do look at my projections and I can bring them to the Holy Spirit, those are the moments that I want more of, even though they're not pleasant sometimes, but you get past them and then it's like you have this wholeness, this whole complete now that you didn't have before. So anyway, I'm, I think I'm done. Thanks. Thanks, Lisa. It's such an excavation, isn't it? To get there, it really is, it really is. Well, I'm going to close, I think, with, oh, I'm sorry, Bruce, I see you now. Oh, uh, just a, a quick comment. I was I was thinking about in that uh, infinite patience producing immediate effects. <clears throat> I was thinking about how, I'll speak for myself, how my mind works a lot of the time is uh, <clears throat> kind of epitomized in the lyrics of a John Mayer tune from a while back. It's like, waiting for the world to change. I think maybe we can all probably relate to that. <laughs> and I think that's totally not what the course is suggesting is that, you know, we, it's not like it's, oh, I got to, you know, if all the circumstances line up just right, you know, the planets are in the right alignment and, and everything, you know, all the exterior things seem to be just going swimmingly in the world. No, it's, it has nothing to do with that. And, and that's such an easy thing to forget when we get so preoccupied with the ego's propaganda machine and all the distractions and diversions. Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Lisa? I just I just had one more thing that I wanted to say is that when I do have those unpleasant things that projections that I become aware of, I'm grateful that I'm aware of them because that's my opportunity. That's my classroom. So I just wanted to say that when you know that you can, when you've been to the almost other side of it, when you've had the reinterpretation undone for you in one instance, when you have another instance, it's like, okay, well, this happened before I can, with more and more certainty, know that it will happen again if I just look at it with the Holy Spirit without judging it. So anyway, thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Lisa. Well, then let's go to the closing in chapter 15. And it would be on page 304. And it's paragraphs 13 to 15. And then we'll close with that. <clears throat> How long is an instant? It is as short for your brother as it is for you. Practice giving this blessed instant of freedom to all who are enslaved by time and thus make time their friend for them. The Holy Spirit gives their blessed instant to you through your giving. As you give it, he offers it to you. Be not unwilling to give what you would receive of him, for you join with him in giving. In the crystal cleanness of the release you give is your instantaneous escape from guilt. You must be holy if you offer holiness. How long is an instant? As long as it takes to reestablish perfect sanity, perfect peace, and perfect love for everyone, for God and for yourself. As long as it takes to remember immortality and your immortality immortal creations who share it with you as long as it takes to exchange hell for heaven 
long enough to transcend all of the ego's making and ascend onto your father. Time is your friend if you leave it to the Holy Spirit to use. He needs but very little to restore God's whole power to you. He who transcends time for you understands what time is for. Holiness lies not in time, but in eternity. There never was an instant in which God's son could lose his purity. His changeless state is beyond time, for his purity remains forever beyond attack and without variability. Time stands in his holiness and changes not. And, it is so, and so it is no longer time at all. For caught in the single instant of the eternal sanctity of God's creation, it is transformed into forever. Give the eternal instant. That eternity may be remembered for you. In that shining instant of perfect release, offer the miracle of the holy instant through the Holy Spirit and leave his giving it to you, to him. I thank you all very much. Awesome, Jean. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jean. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone.